Greyhound leader to trap one. Emergency alert to all radar stations. podcast i'm mark and i'm keith this week we're going to look at the war master box set from big finish only the good uh but first there's been some exciting news in the world of doc 2 action figures in the last week b&m bargains are releasing four more sets of figures uh, later on in the summer i know you're a collector of small i like versions. my dollies yes i'm a big fan of my doctor who dollies yes um it's cost me a lot of money because i've got the uh Tom Baker Talon's costume coming from B&M, so I've had to buy the other figures to go with it now. And I got a bit carried away on eBay, so it's cost me quite a lot of money already, so I'm anticipating these uh, figures now. Definitely, yes. So, yeah, we're getting the, uh, as you say, the fourth Doctor from Talon's the Wing Chang. There's a um, Brigadier, I think, in the same pack, and an Auton Bazaar. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's a Terror of the Auton's Auton and a Season 7 Brigadier, isn't it? Uh, I believe. In glorious beige. Yeah. Uh, we're also getting the third Doctor with a black-based TARDIS. Yep. Apparently it doesn't actually exist in the programme. It's meant to be from the uh, Time Monster. Yeah, I think the pre-publicity is coming from the Time Monster, but as people very quickly pointed out on Twitter, the TARDIS didn't have a black base in the Time Monster. And they based the entire thing on a shadow. I think he won publicity still. So yeah. Um, they've tracked it down and it's definitely <laughs> a shadow. Do you know what stories the TARDIS did have a black base? Nope. Okay. Uh, Spearhead from Space, mm-hmm. Black Orchid, oh. Logopolis, and some scenes in Castrovalva. I think the uh, Logopolis thing is when they needed two TARDISes, um, that the, one of them had a black base. It's called the Newbury TARDIS or something Perhaps like that. It was a bit low, was it? It needed to be propped up a bit, because I think that was a bit shorter than the new model, wasn't it? Ah, right, so yeah, they put, they put a black base on it. and uh, It was a TARDIS with lifts. And we are also getting... Uh, a Peter Capaldi figure um, in a new costume with a brown coat along with a Bill and a Missy I think the Bill's going to be the most exciting because that's going to be unique isn't it we can get the other other figures in various uh, forms but uh, Bill is going to be brand new so I'm quite surprised B&M's got the exclusive for that you'd think they'd make a lot of money releasing that separately first but they're obviously not so yeah. uh, good old B&M's I wonder if they're sort of um, yeah they've got that because uh, character options maybe gearing up for Series 11 and the new crew, uh, maybe that's going to be the, the kind of the big push for, for them. They don't seem to be doing a great deal of anything other than they're supplying B&M's. Yeah. That's well, I was in Forbidden Planet in Newcastle on Saturday, and there was a tiny, tiny selection of Doctor Who stuff compared to what they normally have. A few um, years back, there was a whole wall of it, wasn't it? So. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm thinking it's because we're... Between series, between doctors, between showrunners, um, I'm imagining it's all going to kind of... Uh... Pearl Mackey did give us a preview on top of her Christmas tree, I remember. She actually had the prototype figure. Ah, right. So we knew it existed, but whether we were actually ever going to get it or not. But, ah, uh, I didn't know that. No nod, older? No. Um, and I don't know if the Missy figure, is that based on one of those two released, wasn't there, with, with different outfits? I think it's got a hat missing. So ah, right. my version's in the same colour, but it's got a hat. So yeah. whether they've swapped heads or not, I'm not quite sure. They were limited edition and quite hard to find, I think, weren't they? Very After a while. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they disappeared very quickly. And then finally we've got an 11th Doctor set with Amy and Clara. Yeah. And this is with his later costume of sort of um, the it's, snowman yeah, kind of Yeah, the snowman figure that's already out but missing the top hat. So if you want a hatless version of the same figure, then that's the one for you. 
I feel like that's the one. Like it, from the last series of figures, the only ones that you ever see left in any beer and bargains are the Ninth Doctor. Rose. Lots and lots of Ninth Doctors. <laughs> yeah, and an Orton, is it? And an Orton, yeah. Um, so I know the um, the kind of the big B and M in, in Carlisle. Mm. They've got a few boxes of them left. None of the others. Um, the monsters one seemed particularly popular. The one where you got the, the uh, swell your ranks of an Earthshock Cyberman and a uh, it was an Ice Warrior. And no, it was um, it was the Cyber Controller from Oh, that's right. Two of the Cybermen. Quite right. And a new series, Santaran. Bizarrely, yeah. Mixing the old and the new. Yeah, you're quite right. Yeah. Um, they, yeah those, before that, wasn't it? Yeah. That one seemed to be the hardest one to find. And I think this new set's coming out about the 6th of August. Yeah, right. I heard the late on, summer. Yeah, I think it popped up on Twitter today. I think it was 6th of August-ish. Excellent. So we'll be queuing outside B&M's on the 6th of August. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, it we. Really, Sport for choice in Carlisle because there's about three B&M bargains, isn't there? Is, there yes. So, uh, We're very cheap over here. We <laughs> I did see, um, I think it was Beth from the Time Ladies say, like, I've never seen a B&M bargain, so I don't know how I'm going to get one. I don't know if they're more of a northern thing. I think, when I was a kid, like, very young, um, we lived in Blackpool, and there was a B&M bargains there, and there was only one. Um, and I think it's all come from there. I think the, uh, the popularity of that one store seems to have now spread across the north of England. <laughs> like a virus. Yeah. <laughs> um, so any other Doctor Who news caught your eye recently? Obviously the sad news about Graham Strong passing away. Yeah. A definite unsung hero who's like risked life and limb literally plugging in like live wires into his television to get decent recordings. And without whom we would be a lot poorer because we wouldn't have any rep- um, representation of some stories at all, would we? So, uh, yeah, a good man lost. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it is sad news. Like you say, unsung hero. I, um, it's only recently, I think, when the, the news a little while ago about him handing over his tapes to Mark Ayres. And now we can sort of guess why, which is horrible, really. But uh, Yeah. yeah. So, very sad because, um, as a fan, uh, my life's been... Um, a lot better for him without even knowing it so there we are yeah absolutely yeah uh, a very sad loss hmm. so on to uh, the War Master box set where he's been serenaded <laughs> I'll um <laughs> we'll redo that when this is finished awesome. this is our we got a new washing machine uh, a couple of months ago and it plays a <laughs> jaunty tune when it finishes a, when it finishes a wash it reminds me of sort of. Um, <laughs> it's really made me laugh. It always reminds me of like, um, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know, Eddie the Computer. Yeah, <laughs> the chatty doors or something, yeah. <laughs> okay, it's finished oh, now. I'm enjoying that. Right. <laughs> uh, so, onto the War Master box set, Only the Good, with Derek Jacobi reprising his role as the Master from Utopia in four new stories set during the Time War. His very brief appearance as the master. Yeah, so it's the first time really we got to see him significantly play the role because he was in it for a cough and a spit at the end of Utopia, and then he was uh, gone, wasn't he? That's it. Yeah, he's, he's Professor Yana for the majority of the episode, isn't he? So it's a bit like um, they did with Jeffrey Beavers as well. He was very briefly in Shark, and yet they turned him into a quite a major character with Big Finish. So yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's nice they've done the same. Yeah. And his um, second go at playing the master, of course, because he was a Schalke master as well, wasn't he? He was, yeah, so, the robotic... Whether uh, in an alternate timeline uh, 
Derek Jacob is just destined to be the master everywhere. I don't know. But yeah, it's quite nice. Um, though he was on um, a few years ago. I remember seeing Celebrity Eggheads, and they had he was on a team on that, and it was, it was, um, Dermot Murnahan, the host, was talking about some of his roles, and he very proudly sort of said, "And I was the master in Doctor Who." Um, which is quite nice because at that point he had only had a brief uh, tenure as you say but it was nice that he, it stuck out obviously among like you know I Claudius and well, uh, hundreds of roles he must have played yeah, yeah that uh, it was nice that, that that one stuck out for him I thought so obviously he was um, probably one of the reasons why he's happy to come back <laughs> <laughs> and I believe you've got two knighthoods not one but two yes I've got a Danish knighthood um, uh, the the Queen of Denmark um, came to see me as Hamlet and liked it and uh, knighted me. And, and, what, and So what, I'm twice uh, a knight, folks. Uh, <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> and, of course, in the night garden. Oh, indeed, yeah, yes, right. yes. I love doing that. I loved it. Is it fun just rolling some of those names and characters around the tongue? Yes, upsy-daisy and eagle-piggle and macapaca and all the tombly-boos. <laughs> Uh, yes, and singing their songs too, it's lovely. <laughs> so that's the ultimate accolade, so what I, Claudius and things like that in the past, nothing? Nothing, the only way is down after, after the night garden. Oh, only one thing beats it, I was the master in Doctor Who. Yeah, of course. Yes, that was the apogee. <laughs> of course, well let's hope it gets even better. He also did work for Big Finish before he was did an Unbound Doctor story a long time ago. Oh. So he obviously was like... A, a relationship with him at that time. He was in the um, Rob Sherman story, where he was sort of like a writer who basically hadn't written Doctor Who and sort of regretted not having written it and had sort of like dedicated his career to writing Juliet Bravo instead. <laughs> so oh, was, right. And his episodes of Juliet Bravo weren't particularly well respected by the fans of Juliet Bravo. Either, <laughs> so it's a, it was a typical Rob Sherman, uh, yeah. a bittersweet comedy. I'll have to look at it. I think the only Unbound one I've found still is, uh, I've uh, listened to, is um, Masters of War, the one with David Warner and the Brigadier. Ah. Ubiquitous David Warner. He's yeah. in everything Big Finish stuff. Him and Louis, Louis Jameson dominate their entire yeah. catalogue <laughs> now. <laughs> like a sort of ominous tone in the background. Yeah, I felt like it had uh, a bit of the sort of Dudley Simpson kind of master music from the 70s. Yeah. It's got that kind Unlining of... Underlining it, yeah. Yeah, the sort of drum beat, heartbeat of the sim uh, master. Drum in his head, yeah. Yeah, that sort of da-da-da-dun. Um, there was then, a tiny hint of that at the very end of the thing as well, wasn't there? It was like, there was a slight drum beat when he was about to... Just cutting completely to the end of the entire box set, yeah. But there was yeah. A, a hint of it then before he uh, did what he did. So. Well, yeah, we should say, um, we're going to talk about this in some detail. So if you haven't listened to this box set yet, we're, there will be spoilers. So uh, you might want to come back if, if you plan to listen to it. Uh, but yeah, and uh, and it also, it's got hints of the War Doctor box set theme tune as well, I felt. Because it's sort of um, got that kind of militaristic... I think there's a hint of the War Doctor through the entire production, actually. Yeah. Whether these are scripts that were originally meant to be for the War Doctor or not, I've, I've sort of listened to it, I've sort of debated with myself all the way through. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, this is, the master in this is how I'd like the War Doctor to have been portrayed, really, because he's, the, the War Doctor in Big Finish, even though it's beautifully done, he's just basically the Doctor. Yeah, I, I thought He doesn't that... do anything particularly bad, so he's like... A, 
Yeah, I felt exactly the same way. I really enjoyed the War Doctor box set. I think John Hurt, excellent as a doctor, but he never does anything that any of the other doctors wouldn't do. Mm. Um, You sort of, at the beginning of an episode, at the end of an episode, he'd say something like, Oh, aren't I rotten? And then just behaves like the doctor. He goes, oh, I'm terrible. (laughs) I've done the most unspeakable things, and I've done, you know, wherever... Not in this edition. Yeah, he says, wherever there's a heat of the battle and the the unthinkable has to be done, um, that's where you'll find me. Um, But no, he he never did anything that really pushed the character. And rather marvellously, in the first story, Beneath the Viscoid, he's actually pretending to be the doctor as well, so... Yeah, um, I thought that was great because that's it's quite kind of a Moffat era thing, isn't it, or a Moffat idea that the Doctor's quite famous, that people will have heard of him, and his reputation precedes him. He's even been to the planet previously, I think they say, don't they? So, yeah, um, in the depths of time. So you get this thing where he's uh, the Master uses the Doctor's legend. Um, he uh, where he turns out on the planet Gardeza. Um, where they all live underwater, underneath the viscoid, and these this kind of, sort of network of bases and tunnels, like a jelly-like stuff, the Daleks can't really get through very easily, isn't it? Yeah, so, uh, holds them up a bit. An element of protection for them. Um, so the uh, a mysterious capsule arrives, and it's recovered by the Gardesians, and inside is the Master. And the first thing he says is, "I'm the Doctor." Um, uh, so yeah, that's uh, I, quite a nice idea that that um, that they immediately gets them on side by doing that. And if these were broadcast on the radio, and this was like the first story after McGowan, it would be quite entertaining. You wouldn't know if it was him or not, would you? So yeah. It was, uh, yes. <laughs> Ruined by knowing what it was, of course, because it's the Warmaster box set. But uh, yeah. I did like that idea. It was very good. And the chieftain played by Donna's mother. It's uh, the actress who played uh, Sylvie's, the, uh, the uh, lead... Ah, uh, you hadn't spied that. The leader of the... Uh, the chieftain, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Leader the Viscoids. Yeah. Not an easy thing to say. Yeah, she uh, is it Olsen. Yes. Might be called. Yeah. yeah. Jacqueline King, that's him. Yes. Yeah, she um, she's a good uh, she's a very good character, and I quite like the um, sort of like Native American kind of structure, isn't it? It's like like the chieftain and Braves, isn't and it? Yeah. Braves. Uh, I like the the way that by pretending to be the Doctor, you get the Master's kind of take on the Doctor. He plays him very much as a fuddy-duddy, uh, kind of, he's fussy, isn't he? And, uh, and the extras at the end, they're telling, uh, they've, they've told him to be more over the top because you're being the Doctor, haven't they? So uh, uh, they actually yeah. say, say to him, like, be more, uh, you're being the Doctor, you're being this person you uh, sort of half admire, half despise, so uh, play him how you think the Master sees him. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, that was a very nice touch. And I do like that he gets to do a bit of hypnotism as well, because yeah. the Master hasn't done a lot of that lately, has he? But uh, he actually gets to say, I'm the Master and you will obey me more or less. <laughs> so. Yeah. I suppose the closest we've had to that is the um, the Archangel Network, but it wasn't that kind of face-to-face hypnotism of... Not looking into my eyes, which yeah, he even I'm gets to say as well, which is rather marvellous. Yeah. One thing I did think, David Jacobi in this sounds a lot like John Humphreys. Yeah, that's bothered you before. <laughs> you mentioned that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I find it quite distracting. There's just certain things that he says. He sounds a lot like John John Humphreys. It would make uh, mornings a bit more interesting yeah. on Radio Four <laughs> if he did sort of hypnotise people and uh, to get the better answers out of them, couldn't they? Like you will tell me the truth rather yeah. than the uh, party line. But uh, did that? 
did you keep thinking that all the way through? Or did that fade off towards him? No, I kept there's certain things where I kept it's a bit of a line. I kept thinking that sounded just like John Humphreys. Yeah. But basically, John Humphreys and the Daleks, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, meanwhile, the, the Gardesians have found um, an object. They don't know what it is, but they know that there's an energy build up inside it. Uh, it's unstable, and they plan to fire it up a shaft up to the, the surface where the ruins of their city is uh, and the Dalek command ship is and destroy it but it's tricky because they don't know when it's going to blow up yeah. so they enlist the help of the master who they think is the doctor um, but thereby playing into his hands because it's actually his TARDIS that they've it becomes apparent very quickly he's very interested in this box yeah it's his TARDIS which has been there for 500 years mm-hmm. a skirmish with the Daleks um, they transmatted as you find out through flashbacks they transmatted him aboard their ship um, and then he's made an uneasy alliance with them while he um, send him off to find his TARDIS and then he's supposed to surrender the secrets of it so he's in contact with the Daleks and which seems a bit unlikely doesn't it but he was never going to go through with that was it and the, the Daleks come across as a bit dim even to like suggest it like. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, you wonder uh, Maybe the rigors of the time war, the Daleks were getting slightly less and less bright as time was being reproduced rather too quickly. Yeah, <laughs> you wonder what secrets of the TARDIS they could need at this stage because they've already got time travel. Time mm. travel, they've got dimensional transcendentalism, as we know from um, the chase. Their ship's bigger on the inside, isn't it? I suppose. If, I mean, this is a master who's been resurrected, I think, isn't it? Yeah. So maybe the technology's been changed as well. Perhaps this is like a new version of a TARDIS they've never come across before if you want to sort of like try and justify it but yeah there's nothing in the plot to say that what do you think of the time war as the way it's portrayed as well because in the Russell T Davis time it was always something very nebulous and something you never understood and because of I suppose of um, the 50th special and because of the box set it's now become very much a firing war hasn't it yeah and I think that spoils it a bit but there's a bit of this where people have silly change and there's a bit in a cafe later where um, a man becomes a woman and nobody notices, stuff yeah. like that. But I always think in a time war there should be more of that, really, because really it's just it's a conventional war between Daleks and um, time wars. You'd it? imagine it a lot more esoteric and kind of weird weapons and time loops and that kind of thing. I think that's the word. It should be weird, shouldn't it, really? Yeah. Um, I, think, um, I think it's probably the first example of this, probably even before Day of the Doctor. Is No, it wasn't before the Day of the Doctor, obviously. There's the day of the Doctor where the, you've got the sort of the trenches, haven't you? And you've got the um, there you say it's a firefight, mm. and then there was that novel which uh, Engines of War, the War Doctor novel, and that's very much just um, a battles in space, and the TARDIS just smashed through Dalek ships and things like that, and you think TARDIS is kind of capable of a lot more than that. You know, they can tow planets along while keeping the atmosphere <laughs> intact. They can. Uh, they, they can do all sorts of stuff, and just using it as a battering ram seemed, uh, seemed odd. And not particularly this, but there's another, there's a, there's a box set with the Eighth Doctor, and basically Time Lords are being drafted, and they're going to boot camp. And you think... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to me, that's, yeah, that's a bit too conventional for my liking. I mean, it's a nice little story, but you think Time Lords should be a bit more bizarre, and the Time Lords should be not grunts really should they yeah they, they they're maybe wrong. the Gallifreyans maybe but the Doctor shouldn't really be cons- <laughs> conscripted no, I think Time Lords are super intelligent and you know they they've already got the kind of the ability to fight the sort of the great vampires and things like that haven't they which is their um, 
one of their rules, isn't it? If they come across one of them, they have to they have to battle it from from state of decay and that kind of thing. Because with with this and Gallifrey box set and things like that, it's getting the Time War is becoming less special because it's becoming more conventional in a strange way. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so back to this one. <laughs> Uh, so uh, the doctor hypnotizes one of the Braves who, who's guarding him uh, so that he can sort of sneak about and, and contact the Daleks um, the Daleks don't really trust him so they launch an invasion anyway um, and the doctor gets back into his TARDIS because they suddenly realise he's got a key yeah and this, uh, this poor scientist gets oh you've got a key for that and sort of twigs all is not well <laughs> yeah he sacrifices his two guards to sort of Get rid of the, the energy that's leaking out of it. In a wonderfully callous scene, it's the first time he gets to do something a bit mean, isn't it? And he, he does it very well. I think Jacoby as the Master is the most charming one since Roger Delgado. He really relies on his charm. He's very manipulative. He, he finds out what the characters want or what they care about and then uses that, doesn't he? So with Olsen, he talks about a son, which he's previously talked about. Although she can't help yawning when he's when um, yeah he does yawn when she's describing her family at one point she's rather nice. <laughs> he does the um, he starts to do a speech that he thinks the doctor would do about the spirit of the Gardesians and mm. uh, how noble they are and then he just sort of gets bored and tails off yeah. and then they start talking about family and he starts yawning yeah he can only maintain it for so long can't he? <laughs> but I mean his whole um, ethos seems to be in the box set that he's doing but he's doing everything for himself. But sometimes that is going to have good effects for people. Yeah. And sometimes that's going to have bad effects for people, and he just doesn't care, as long as it's all right for him. Yeah, it's kind of amoral, isn't it? And ultimately, it's his undoing. But, yeah. <laughs> but you only get flashes of, of the kind of snarling Anthony Ainley master, don't you? Just yeah. every now and again. The rest of the time, he sounds so perfectly reasonable and charming. Um, so even after he's killed these two guys, he's, um, he's got his kind of assistant aboard the TARDIS, um, he persuades her she's, she's still mistrustful but he persuades her to let him get to the controls and dematerialise he's, he's being rocketed up the shaft towards the ship dematerialise release all the energy destroys the Dalek ship um, so like you say he's saved the planet he's destroyed a lot of Daleks even though all the characters we've met on now have been exterminated <laughs> yeah uh, but then um, he said there's still a little bit of energy left in the TARDIS console, so he, yep. he gets her to flick a switch and that vaporises her, just to save him um, having to drop her off or anything like that. And then he makes mention of um, her son and says, uh, what a shame, he's an orphan now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, he's uh, just, just when you kind of think, oh, maybe he's not so bad, and he, he talks about kind of taking her home and stuff. Um, and at that point, he gets recalled to Gallifrey. He does. Which I thought, um, I thought this would be more time warry. I thought we might get Cardinal Alistra from the War Doctor um, and the, the Paul McGann time war. I don't know if they're doing a timeline because some because the recent Gallifrey box set, which is quite, which is the beginning of the time war, uh, Jacob is in that, and um, Alistra's not in it yet. Ah, so whether she right. comes to power later, right? But. So I've always wondered if uh, Big Finish has a grand design or whether it's just uh, who's available at the time. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's on Gallifrey in that story and he does a mission for them. So whether it's this mission, but he does say later that he's on this planet because he's been, he's disgusted with the time. So in the next story, yeah. he could be there because of what he did on Gallifrey or it could be the story from the um, 
Gallifrey box set, so I think it just depends where you want to slot things in. Really. Ah, right. I didn't. Um, I yeah, he does a, He goes on a mission with Leela um, ah, in the really? Gallifrey box set. And, Ah, cool. I haven't had any, any of the Gallifrey stars. I know they've been Ooh, let me ruin it all for you. I know they've been on there for years, but um, yeah, I, I didn't know they'd, they'd reached the time or not. Uh, so then that leads on to the next story, The Good Master, um, which is it's got some similarities to Beneath the Viscoid in some ways, hasn't it? It's, He's uh, again being a doctor, isn't he? Yeah, Dr. Keller as well. Which yeah, is, which is marvellous, I like that. <laughs> yeah, resurrected his old um, sort of pseudonym from uh, The Mind of Evil. Even though he's taken a step down, he's no longer a professor. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in this one, he's actually doing good. He's working as a doctor. And it's kind of a, a time war hospital, isn't it, for the, uh, for the wounded and injured from the time war. And it's on a planet that's protected by a mysterious force. So which the Daleks can't get near. What both him and the Time Lords are interested in. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so in his spare time, he's looking for the source of this power. But the rest of the time, he's quite happily saving lives. He's training up an assistant. He's sort of saying it's, he has to keep the pretense as a doctor by doctoring, doesn't he? And saving people's lives. But he won't admit that it's his uh, raison d'etre, but he's still doing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he, when he talks to his assistant, he's... He's, he seems quite genuine when he's talking about saving lives, doesn't he? And, and the importance of it and, and that kind of thing. Well, it could be an audio disguise. He's like, he's just getting into his role, isn't he? That's yeah, like, well, that comes up kind of later in the episode. But then he does well. save a life he didn't bother saving. There's a character who's practically, who is dead on the, on the operating table and he res- uh, brings them back to life, basically, through his skills. So he's, whether it's just to prove his cleverness or whether he's uh, yeah, actually yeah. genuinely trying to save a life is another matter. But uh, as you say, he is doing good. Um... Meanwhile, we've got a new character called Cole Jarnish, who is a space ambulance driver. Sitting next to Nicholas Briggs. In a yeah. very badly disguised <laughs> voice. <laughs> uh, so he's, he's bringing the wounded back uh, in his space ambulance when they get attacked by some Daleks. And he's the only survivor that makes it back to the planet Arking. Um, and he's operated on by the Master. And... Cole becomes a bit of a companion for the rest of the box set. He's in the next three. He's in the three stories, isn't he? Yeah, Yeah. very kind of naive character, isn't he? Incredibly naive character. They use um, the word medtech for him, which is like a big Finnish yeah, it's doctor stroke nurse of of the future, isn't it? So yeah, uh, the um, Nicola Walker's character Livchenko for the Eighth Doctor. She's a medtech, isn't she? Yes, she is. I think medtech does come from the series somewhere, doesn't it? I can't quite remember which episode it comes from. Hmm. Invisible Enemy, maybe? Yeah. I'm trying to think of things with doctors in it. Yeah, it might be something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, so he's a med tech. But even when they get attacked by the Daleks, he's like, why are they attacking us? And it's like, uh, as if he, if he kind of lived. Hasn't quite noticed the war going on. Lived <laughs> that long through the time war. And uh, yeah, he doesn't understand why they'd, uh, why they'd attack an unarmed medical sort of transport. Whereas the uh, captain of the ship is very aware of it, isn't he? And, uh, yeah. You know, it's quite a dramatic scene, I quite like that bit. Yeah. Um, and then uh, once he makes it back, the, the master takes his assistant and call. Oh, before that. Right. The, the, uh, the Daleks turn up. They do an ultimatum, we want the master. There's no, um, there's no record of the master... On the, uh, on the planet. planet and any of the bases. Because um, he's been very clever, not actually use his proper name. So. Yeah. 
So uh, nobody knows who the master is. The Daleks are threatening to uh, to, to kind of invade them, but the, the planet is protected. So there's and there's a lovely scene there. where the master stood outside and he's just looking up and watching the stars going out. And yeah. I absolutely love that scene. I've forgot to be honest. This was the story I I'd uh, remembered the least well, and I've probably given quite a short shrift for. But that actual little scene there, I thought was absolutely brilliant because he's sort of musing on <coughs> on the war and how everything, how creation's going. Well, just disappearing, isn't it? Yeah. And um, how this little planet is sort of like safe, and why is it safe? But there's also hints that this has happened before as well, because sometimes you get echoes of previous conversations, don't you? Especially towards the end. Now I couldn't quite figure out whether he's been stuck in a time loop and this has happened before, because because the the, uh, the the thing at the end knows yeah. who he is, and has sort of like said how much he's changed. It's... And there's been little echoes of conversation. But I wasn't quite sure whether this has just been like that was alternative time or whether they've gone through this little cycle before because he knows how good a pilot this lad is yeah based on the fact he's crashed onto a planet so that's not exactly the best um, yeah endorsement of reference is it whereas um, there must be other pilots there so whether they've gone through this before or whether it was just like echoes of what was to come I, I wasn't quite sure about that it's, it's ambiguous isn't yeah. it yeah so, so but I quite like that on the second listen the first time I thought oh have I missed something but the second time I thought actually no it's, it's deliberately being left for us to decide, which I quite liked, yeah. Yeah, because uh, so the, the, the master, his, his assistant, I can't remember her name, and Cole, they go and they find the heart of Arking, which is this sentient anomaly. Um, Blob of energy stuff. Yeah, which is protecting the planet. And uh, we, when they speak, they say, oh, the master's been here many times before. And you could read that as the master in different incarnations has visited that planet to try and find the secret of it. I think it's Filler, is it? By Hannah, played by Hannah Baker. Filler, that's Barker. how it does sound right, I think, yeah. Um, and do you think that... Uh, the, the, kind of, the suggestion is that he's only managed to find the heart of Arky now because he's doing it selflessly, because he's doing it for the Time Lords to help in the Time War, so he's not doing it for himself, whereas they kind of say in the past he's done it for himself. And because they've seen a change in him while he's been on the planet, in that he's been saving lives. But even that's ambiguous as to whether he has changed, because he said, well, that's what I do. I'm, I infiltrate and I fool people and all the rest of it. And he also might just want it for himself. Yeah, so it's, it's ambiguous. His motives are ambiguous. And like you say, whether he's stuck in some kind of a time loop or whether he has just visited the planet at different times, maybe gone to different bases, because they, they establish it as different bases around the planet. They do. In an attempt to find it. It it is it is left uh, like left quite ambiguous like that. And anyway, they have a a chase to get to this blob, and when they finally find it, it's this sort of um, it's it's something which is uh, all the possibilities, isn't it? Yeah, it's so, a kind of a weird anomaly. Fixed and for point. some reason, that means Dalek's guns don't work. So. Yeah, <laughs> um, but then Cole touches it, grounds it into reality, destroys it in some way, uh, leaving the planet unprotected. Swarming with Daleks. Everybody dies, including so, all the people the Master saved. So. Yeah, they. Um, so the Doctor and Cole make it back to his TARDIS. The Master. Did I say the Doctor? See, it could, could be the time. It could be the uh, yeah. the War Doctor. You see, he could have fitted in perfectly with that because the War Doctor could have been there, doctoring, yeah. keeping an eye on things, and he could have done that yeah, very easily. So looking for that for the time. I think this is probably the most Doctory story, to be honest. Yeah, he saves Cole. They, they escape the planet. Basically, because Cole pushes himself in. It's not... Uh, yeah, it's the not master's complaining. It's actually the Dal- he's led the Daleks to him, isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah. 
And at, at which point, um, the master realizes that there is somebody alive that shouldn't have been alive, and it's kind of echoes of the Eighth Doctor and Charlie Charlie yeah. Pollard, isn't it? That he's creating an anomaly by saving a person who wasn't supposed to be saved. But whereas uh, the Doctor wouldn't have been too happy about that, or you know, it kind of led to all kinds of problems, culminating in Zagreus. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those first two seasons of Paul McGann are right up to Zagreus, and I really like Zagreus as well. Absolutely brilliant. So do I. I think it's one of the highlights of Big Finish's output. Yeah. Yeah. Super. It's a bit grim, but uh, yeah. no, I think those first two years were amazingly good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the first two seasons. Excellent. Um, and I think this is another example of Cole's kind of naivety, um, because the master he, he does kind of a little bit of evil moustache twirl in here doesn't he he says well you know all these people have died but uh, sometimes you have to sacrifice some pawns to save the king and then he, he even goes, says the word pawn doesn't he he yeah. goes long live the king yeah. and uh, Cole doesn't bat an eyelid does he um, and he starts the next story they're actually sort of like quite convivial yeah, yeah they, uh, so you go into the next story which is the sky man um, and it, it opens where the master's looking at Cole kind of appraisingly and obviously mm. you realise in hindsight that he's Weighing up the possibilities. You can feel his eyebrows raised, can't you? Yeah, <laughs> he's, uh, he's wondering what he can do with this person that's an anomaly within a time war that's kind of full of paradoxes and anomalies anyway. And I'm going to put my cards on the table now. I'm going to say that this, I think, is an extraordinary piece of writing. I think it's a really good story. I do, yeah. Genuinely. It's, it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it so much because I was genuinely really impressed by this. It's fantastic, isn't yeah. it? It's uh, this is The next one is The Skyman by James Goss. Um... A master light story, you could almost say. Yeah, his but focuses... his fingers are all through it. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it focuses heavily on Cole. Cole decides he wants to save a planet from the time war. So the master gives him a choice of uh, a load of planets that are doomed. Because he's a time lord and he can't interfere. Yeah, he, uh, he suddenly starts Which is a strange argument in the middle of a time war, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Cole doesn't question that, does it? No. The, the, the time lords are at war. Um so the master, yeah, suddenly plays the uh, the card, can't interfere, I can't do anything. But he, he gives him a choice of a planet to save and then takes him to the planet. Actually, so, it's very cruel. He makes him pick one. Yeah. He makes him, there's all these planets on the scanner. He actually says, pick a planet. And he sort of says, that, no, that one. Yeah. So I think that was a very mean thing to do as well. So I quite like that. It was, um, it was a bit of um, malicious behaviour there. Yeah, because he's, he's no way of knowing if the master's taken him to the planet that he chose anyway. Well, true. Um, <laughs> he's basically told them that all these planets are doomed. Pick the one you want to save, which yeah. is a, a wonderfully uh, Machiavellian thing to do. So they arrive on, on this uh, kind of farming community on a planet um, and just says to call right, off you go, you go and save it. No idea what the threat is, what he can do. And the master decides he wants to go and work on a vineyard or take over a vineyard, doesn't he? Um, and there's a nice little kind of dark bit where he says, oh yeah, the... Uh, uh, the farmer oh, just, just um, yes, seems to yes, just he, gave it to me. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, yeah, he <laughs> left, me, left me looking after it. Yeah, um, who's never heard from again, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the master keeps popping up from time to time, but basically he's just he's just growing some grapes, isn't he, so that he can make uh, make yeah. some wine. But rather darkly builds a fence around the property. Yeah. So he knows he knows what's coming because he's he, he like he fortifies the farm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, meanwhile. Cole just starts working on a farm. He's helping them out by fixing the water pump and um, fixing... Or breaking the, it. <laughs> yeah, and then he, he sort of fixes a bridge and things like that. So you get the kind of idea. He's, he's 
kind of mechanically minded and, and a bit of a kind of a technician. It's having a burgeoning romance with the farmer's daughter. Yeah. Elid. 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 E L I D H. And then it's kind of um, it's kind of a gentle comedy, isn't it? Because you kind of realise that when when the doctor turns up somewhere, he's always in the heart of the action. He knows what the threat is. Whereas Cole has no idea what to do. He's just arrived in the absolute middle of nowhere. And Annoying. often the middle sort of box uh, disc in a big finished box box that tends to be the more whimsical story, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Before the conclusion, and uh, they really pulled the rug from us on that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe the yeah. first half of it is him just trying to get along with the farmer, falling in love with the farmer's daughter. There's a shepherd who is mistrustful of, of the changes that he's making and all this kind of thing. And nobody fixes his bridge yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's uh, some weird lights in the sky one night, but it doesn't come to anything. But then people start to get ill. The first the sheep, and then the people, and then the rain stop, then the crops fail. And yeah, it it's gets slow and insidious, but it gets worse and worse and worse for the people. Grimmer and grimmer. Yeah. The master is saying, I can't interfere, but he occasionally leaves them some supplies or some food um, just to kind of keep them t- ticking along. Um, Again, you think, oh, that's kind. And then you, at yeah. the end you realise, no, it wasn't. It yeah. was set up from the start. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, so... so Cole thinks that maybe he's immune to the effects of... He's got a suit, hasn't he? He's got, like, his space suit or his environment suit. Yeah. And he and thinks it, that's keeping him out of it. It can sort of stop bullets, can't it, and, and protect him from atmospheric stuff. So it turns out it's time spillage from the time war that's infecting the planet. So he decides he'll build these survival suits for the farming community as well. After, I mean, he sort of, like, he has to confront villagers at this point before that and he does that in his survival suit he gets shot for his troubles yeah because they blame him they think he's a stranger he's brought his kind of strange ways here he must have sort of blighted the, the crops and, uh, and it's beautifully done and believably done and the acting in it is amazing yeah the lad who plays Cole that bit is you can just hear the hurt in his voice it is so well done yeah very very good uh, so he starts to build some survival suits um, which become more elaborate because uh, the early ones, he hasn't built a visor or anything in, has he? So um, everyone gets a bit claustrophobic and a bit scared. You actually hear the farmer panicking when he goes into it. Yeah, yeah. that's quite, yeah, it's quite claustrophobic, isn't it? And all the uh, babies are being stillborn as well, aren't they? So this is a doomed planet now. Yeah, uh, so he builds, builds these suits and then because people are panicking when they're inside them and they don't like it, they administer injections to calm people down. Then the suits get more advanced and they can go and find other people and put them in suits. And, and they can't get out of them. They have to survive in the suits. Yeah. And, and then, then the voices start sounding a bit familiar. Yeah. it's. Um, and I thought that was chilling. That was yeah. so good. Yeah. It's, it, it's got sort of echoes of um, spare parts, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, this, the way it's Nick Briggs doing it, I think, and the way he does the intonation of the voice is basically of the 10th Planet Cyberman, isn't it? Yeah. It's not that blatant but it's just the hint of it yeah they they never use the word cybermen no just a tiny hint of the voice but it's people surviving in an environmental suit which they can't get out of and you hear their personalities disappearing as well yeah their emotions um become suppressed and and there's that bit with the doll where she's just she can't pull the cord the doll that says i love you anymore yeah that was amazingly well done it's sort of like uh a metaphor for her own emotions disappearing, and that was that. That point, I was. Um, I remember the first time I heard it. I was literally on the bus, and I nearly missed my stop because I was so involved in it. Yeah. 
Yeah, as you say, it it, it goes from from a, a light hearted and a slow burn of a story, yeah, to this very dark thing where Cole, who's the most kind of innocent, uh, kind of good hearted character, ends up becoming like a Davros kind of figure, and he knows what he's done. Yeah, that's the thing. He's, he's not like um, whereas other people who you know, kind of create these these monsters that they've got kind of nefarious ends he's done it for all the best possible reasons mm-hmm. um, so and he even knows it's a bad thing when he, he kisses her for the last time and shuts her in yeah. he knows that's the last time she will ever touch another human, well, yeah. human being yeah it's uh, and then they uh, so, that, so they they find all the other survivors and seal them in the suit and then they decide they want revenge for whoever it was that poisoned the planet. After they're pursuing him across the planet. Yeah, but they don't know who did it, so they just set out into the universe. And, uh, I mean, if Cole had just said it was the Daleks or it was the Time Lords, yeah. they'd have just gone then. Because he said it could have been anybody, they've decided to kill everybody. Yeah. <laughs> just to be on the safe side. Um, but yeah, just uh, a, a, let's say a great performance from Cole, knowing what he's done. This is after the master's killed a load of desperate people trying to get his food, of course. Yeah, um, yeah, you don't quite... Again, it's just implied, but you just hear screaming in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then somebody says, we haven't seen uh, those guys for a while, have we? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I thought this was the highlight of the box set. I thought, yeah. it was, yeah, I thought it was excellent. Then at the end, there's that wonderful... There's, there's a coda where Cole just sort of says, oh, and of course, this like army would be really useful in your time war, wouldn't it? But he didn't say it, so he's accusing. He just sort of says it, and the master sort of goes, "Oh yeah, yeah." And obviously, whether he's done it for him or he's done it for the time vaults to create a weapon for them, yeah. Again, is left ambiguous. But no, I thought this was an astonishingly good story. One yeah. of the best pieces of big finish ever done. I think it was uh, really good. And the master sort of says, oh, "Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it." Um, but um, what I realise is that this is part of a bigger plan, which leads into the next story. The Heavenly Paradigm by Guy Adams, where the master has dis- tells Cole he's decided that he does want to try and he's going to give up on the non-interference thing and he's going to try and stop the time war. Um, so Cole says, yeah, we should, that's what we should do. And the master says, well, there'll be sacrifices. And Cole says, well, it would be worth it. And at that point you think, Uh-oh. your days are numbered. <laughs> Uh, but again, but it's quite it's, nice the way the master sort of like gets his permission, though, doesn't it? Yeah, he doesn't. He, he would probably do it anyway, but he sort of gets tacit agreement. Yeah, which I don't suppose he needs to have done. He just sort—I of, suppose he's just good manners, isn't it? Because it, it's a very well-mannered psychopath. This particular version of the master, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. very, very charming. Well, I did ask politely. No. Yeah, it, it kind of occurred to me that um, he's so charming. He has a an easier time being accepted by new people than the doctor does a lot of the time. There's there's very little mistrust of him because he's so he comes across so inoffensive, so charming, and everything when he turns up. There's a very nice short trips story, just to change um, on a similar tangent, where the Delgado master and the Pertwee doctor brains like mind swap, and um, all the unit staff are absolutely amazed how polite the Pertwee doctor's been to them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? That's how the sort of twig is not yeah. the uh, doctor did because like how well mannered and uh, respectful he is to the brigadier and stuff. So. <laughs> that sounds brilliant. Is that an audio one or one? Yes, yeah, it's uh, one of the little short trips ones. Yeah, it's, uh... All right, I'll see. I keep an eye out for that one. <laughs> um, we'll find the name and I'll put I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me of Delgado a lot in that sense because Delgado was always unfailingly polite, wasn't he? With uh, he'd always call Joe Miss Grant, mm. uh, my dear Miss Grant, and all that kind of stuff. 
so yeah, he's uh, he, he seems like that's his biggest influence in, in playing the part. Uh, so the um, as you said before, they, they go to a cafe and it's sort of nineteen seventies um, England, Stamford Bridge or somewhere. Yes. Um, and even there, the, there's the effects of time. Or as you say, he says the uh, the person behind the counter changes from a man to a woman or a woman to a man, but only the master can notice that. Yeah, Cole doesn't notice uh, at all, does he? No. Yeah, he's the only sort of time sensitive person enough that can uh, that can realise that. And it's a brilliant way of getting rid of all the problems with Doctor Who continuity as well. So from yeah. now, on, every <laughs> continuity problem has been a result of the time war. Yeah. We don't have to blame faction paradox anymore. We can blame the time war instead. That's. Uh, well, there's an argument to say that every time he steps out of the TARDIS, he in some way changes history, so it's constantly fluid, isn't there? Well, there's so people who believe in the Mandela effect now, don't they? So it's like, uh, yeah, who believe history has changed, so who knows? Well, I'd never heard of that until it was on the last series of The X-Files. Oh, I haven't seen uh, that, mate. They did an episode about that, yeah. So um, I guess if, uh, if any listeners don't know what the effect is, this is where you remember something and you are absolutely convinced that it happened or you saw it but nobody else remembers it and there's no evidence of it or other people do remember it but there's still no evidence for it yeah, yeah. there's a, there's another bit in the Moonraker where one of the uh, in Jaws the uh, the girl Jaws gets off with people remember her smiling with braces on her teeth right. but actually it's not in the film at all so it's uh, that's another oh. example of yet funny enough I kind of remember that too <laughs> so. that does sound familiar yeah so it's either that or vice versa. So she doesn't have braces or she doesn't smile? No, she, she smiles, but uh, some people remember with braces on her teeth and some people remember her not having braces on her teeth. I, th- I would have thought she had braces. I would have thought it made more sense for the character, but uh, yeah. yeah. That's why Jaws would be attracted to. Hmm. Why you'd be attracted to somebody with the same teeth or not, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's the Time Wars fault. Right. <laughs> time War, Moonraker is a Time War song. Yep. I actually quite like Moonraker. So do I. It's much maligned. Yes. Uh, so, the... Uh, yes, yeah, so the heavenly paradigm. The Master has come to England in the 1970s because there's a cache of Time Lord weapons... In suburbia. In suburbia, which is the, seen as the perfect hiding place. They go to a, just kind of a little house on a street... Um, where all the locals turn on them because they're in a little perception thing, aren't they? So uh, the house is protected by the uh, people with secateurs and dogs and things. Yeah, like there's, uh, there's all these just kind of normal nosy neighbours, but as soon as they approach the house, yeah, they've got sort of uh, yeah, secateurs and garden shears and, and dogs and stuff that they, they come for them. And there's a thing behind the door which sort of points out all your bad faults as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, but fortunately, the master takes it all as a compliment, so he gets through quite easily. That was nice. <laughs> it reminded me of the um, the second series of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the was it the total perception? Oh, perspective vortex, the, yeah. The, yeah, the total perspective vortex. Uh, so, yeah, it points out all the bad things that you've done and everything like that. Um, yeah. Your relationship to the universe is extrapolated from a piece of fairy cake. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, Cole finds it horrifying. Uh, the master says something like it was, it was bracing or invigorating <laughs> or something like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Still, Cole doesn't realise the master's evil. Um, then the television tries to kill him. Yeah. So sort of like puts the idea in the mind that he's burning and then uh, the master has to stop that. Yeah, and I like the, the, the computer in the house. It's a very urbane, kind of dry-witted computer that, that, that a Time Lord would have, you think, or that a Time Lord yeah. would have. Yeah. Um, 
And there's a scene later on because there's a time lady in the house who's guarding the uh, the weapons cache. Well, she's a little old dear at first, played by Nerys Hughes, isn't she? Yeah. And then silly, uh, she turns out to be a time agent. Yeah. Yeah, she's been um, prematurely she's... aged by something in the time war. Yeah. So, so she's, she's uh, been put out to grass in this <laughs> guarding this terrorist, uh, this little suburban That's house. Yeah. For as long as this incarnation lasts, then when she regenerates, she's she's kind of back in the fray, isn't she? Um, but the scene where she has to negotiate with the computer, it reminded me of the fourth Doctor with Skagra's computer. Yeah. Um, where it's, uh, she's trying to find the very sort of edges of, of what its orders are. Yeah. And then the computer's helping her to, uh, to sort of point her in the right direction. Yeah, we're not going to discuss that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> says, well, I, I can't say that, but yeah, if you ask me that, yeah. I wouldn't disagree. It's, uh, it's, it's great. Uh, so uh, a nice bit of levity in what is what is coming to be quite a grim conclusion. You can kind of tell, can't you? Because uh, she's drugged Cole, and he's woken up to find himself like strapped on this uh, yeah. table covered in gubbins, and uh, he's rather surprised to find it wasn't her that put him in, in the gubbins; it was the master. Yeah, and that's quite nice because the, the scene ends with with the master and uh, the, the the little old lady just talking. But then when Cole comes to, he's he's knocked her out as well. Mm. She's just coming round, and he's gone to get his TARDIS. Um, he's strapped to this uh, weapon called the Heavenly Paradigm, which makes you the best version of yourself so that you've always made the right decision um, and become the best version of yourself. So it cancels out all the other alternative timelines, which creates lots of energy to perpetuate the machine. But the a nice little is, argument, isn't it, that uh, the time old agent, she sort of goes, oh yes, but we decided it couldn't possibly be too interfering. Then she finally just has to admit they haven't got enough power for it. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also it would remove free will, um, which is the other, the sort of, the moral argument against it, which only Cole's really interested in, isn't he? Yes. Um, so the master realizes that he's got an amazing power source in Cole because he's a paradox in that he shouldn't be alive. He's gone on to create uh, a race of kind of pseudo-Cybermen who've killed a load of people that wouldn't have been killed had he not survived and created the Cybermen. Also, all those people should also be dead and they'll walk around killing more people who shouldn't be killed by people yeah. who shouldn't be there. So there's a huge amount of energy stored in him which he uses to power the machine. Uh, so he plugs him in and he says there's a five-minute sort of warm-up. So he goes to put the kettle on <laughs> and the, uh, the time lady talks the computer into flipping the machine around so that instead of projecting the heavenly paradigm out into the universe, it projects it only into that room. Um, this is after the computers agreed to like, blast off her manacles, but yeah. she can't use her hands and touch the controls at first. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then the master's like, he's been watching all along, so he just comes in and switches it around. Um, this kills Cole um, unceremoniously. And so, very painfully, by the sounds of it. Yeah. Uh, a good scream at the end. That, that's the end of him. Because before that, the master says something like, uh, he's, very, he's very precious to me or something. And you think, oh, he's, maybe he has grown on him. But it is just purely how he can be useful. Precious as in value. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then this is a bit, it's kind of foretold, wasn't it, by the, the heart of Arking. It's a one day soon the master will uh, try and stop the war. or I can't remember quite what they say. Yeah, but, I'd um, forgotten that. Yes, you're quite right. It did, yes. Uh, so he, he he decides this is how he's going to end the war because everyone in the universe will become the best versions of themselves. The Daleks won't become the, or the Khalids won't become the Daleks. They'll work with the Thals to rebuild their world. But he'll be protected from it because he's in his room. So. so he's the only person that will have free will, essentially, isn't he? That's the uh, and and then 
if he will uh, no doubt try to take over the universe. Um, but what happens is that it can't it can't support all the changes because because the computer says the universe is a very big place. Yeah, and there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's too many contradictions and things like that. And what actually happens is uh, the events that are referred to in by the master in series three, when uh, the the John Sim master is is relaying what happened in the time war when he said he saw the Dalek Emperor take the cruciform. So the the heavenly paradigm shows the master the the cruciform. We don't really find out what the nature of it, but we know it's an awesomely powerful weapon. We know it's a bad thing from his reaction to it because this is the point where all the pretense is gone. He's genuinely panicking at this point isn't yeah it? Um, and because of the changes that he has wrought by activating the heavenly paradigm the Dalek Emperor has got the cruciform that's when he panics gets in his TARDIS gets the chameleon arch out um, and takes off to, uh, to to change into a human until to become a baby and run to the end of the universe yeah to sit the time and that's a really nice scene where you hear the baby crying because he's uh, he's rewritten his DNA to be a baby and the voice you hear is the master going into the pocket watch, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't bother establish continuity, so yeah, everybody's happy. Well, I was quite surprised that they ended the Time Master's story at that point. I thought they might try and get a few box sets out of this, like they did with the War Doctor. I suppose they can all be prequels, because I mean, he's still doing stories now. He's been in the recent unit one. Um, yeah, let's say he's been in the and it's coming up in the River Song box set with uh, Missy and the Eric Roberts Master, yes. which I'm ridiculously excited about. I don't yeah, know. I'm looking forward. So to presumably that. all those things take place before. Yeah. This. So. Yeah, I, I thought there might be some more time war stories though. Um, so yeah, I was, I was surprised by that. I was surprised by the way the story was uh, was wrapped up and ended. Um, but as you say, he's back in cyber unit cyber reality, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks. Excellent. Um, and the excellent. No, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the yeah, the it's the Diary of River Song, isn't it? Box set as well. Yes, where she meets all the masters. Yeah, are they using the Jeffrey Beavers one as well? Do you know? Yeah, they are, I thought they would do. Yeah. So, uh, what about the? Um, He's, he's only on Big Finish, and the name escapes me for a moment. The bald-headed one? No, he's yes. not. Uh, it's, um, it's Beavers, Missy, Eric Roberts, and Jack Jackie, which is not a bad cast, if you think about no, it. No, I suppose, yeah, you, you can uh, you, you can have too, too many, I suppose. Um, strange, in a way, that they're doing it as a River Song one and not, <coughs> a, not a Doctor Who one. I know, poor old River Song, she never gets to stand by herself. So far, all her box sets has had uh, an existing Doctor in them. Her next one's got Tom Baker in them, and then it's going to be the Masters. So she's yeah. never had one where she's sort of like being completely divorced from yeah. another aspect of the show. Off on her own adventures. But I mean, the Masters, um, you would have thought it might have been, they might have been facing the Doctor. Rather than I suppose song. if they managed to get them to do this, they might do another. But I suppose a lot of the, especially Missy, she's with a character who Big Finish can't use yet. It's because um, they can't use the 12th Doctor just yet. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, they can't have Missy meeting an earlier incarnation. Yeah, so I suppose a lot of ways it's it's easier to meet her than it is to meet the Doctor. So. Yeah. They can they can put some amnesia into it or something like that, though, can't they? That's well, the Doctor's getting very forgetful because he keeps missing River Song. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's more and more convoluted things, isn't there, in the uh, in the River Song 
uh, box sets as to to why uh, they don't um, they don't recognise her. Rather marvellously, in the um, Ape Doctor one, she he, um, she wears um, a wimple all the way through, so he doesn't recognise yeah, her. Yeah, <laughs> that's in the uh, in the Doom Coalition, that's isn't it? it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do like those stories. Yeah. So on the whole, I think this was a the Master Box that was extraordinarily good, and particularly for the Skyman, which I thought was. Uh, an amazing piece of writing, genuinely good. Yes, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that was my favourite too. Um, as you say, one of the one of the best big finish stories, I think. And imagine the War Doctor doing that. That would have been really dark. It would have been. I don't yeah. like that, but uh, still. Well, thank you very much for joining me. It's been a pleasure discussing this box set with you. Yes, thank you. I've enjoyed it. Uh, tune in next week, staying with Big Finish, when Lawrence Sutcliffe is joining me to talk about Energy of the Daleks, which has just come out on vinyl. Uh, in Sainsbury's. So we'll be talking about... Not being empty. No. (laughs) (laughs) They've gone up market. (laughs) (laughs) They've gone up market for the vinyl. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, um, hopefully you'll uh, listen to that one. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye.